0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. How are we doing, team? Good to see you guys this morning. Although I can barely see you, I've got like these horrible seasonal allergies. I woke up like, what happened to my eyeballs? Um, all right, well... I'm going to just uh, sort of tip you off, uh, and I'm going to try to set the tone for uh, this talk this morning. This is not going to be a rah-rah-rah talk. It's not going to be a get-out-there-let's-conquer talk. Um, this is going to be very personal. And um, and what I uh, expect and hope will happen is that Jesus will... Um, present himself to you in a way that will touch your heart. And that's what Jesus really wants to do is to minister to your heart. And so just kind of set that tone for yourself. Um, I know that uh, last week was Easter, wasn't it? Is that right? Okay. How, how did uh, Easter go? How were the, the post? Like, have you kind of gotten through the huge Easter expenditure of your energy? Is the ham all eaten? Is it all gone? Okay, are the uh, are the dishes all done from last week? Are, did the kids come off of their sugar highs from the the, the Easter egg candy yet? What? No. Hello. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, for for Molly and I, for our staff, and I imagine for every person that is uh, working for a church, that this week after Easter is like the big oh, like exhale. We spend so much time and energy building towards easter and praying and working and hoping that it will be uh just this really amazing thing for the lord and for the people that come and then the week after we kind of catch our breath and we sort of go back to life as normal you know just back to our regular rhythm our regular routine and I, i don't know if that feels that way to you but it certainly feels that way to us and of course um christianity as we know it christianity as we experience it it actually began After Easter, right? Because uh, at the resurrection, Jesus, he died and he rose again. And um, in doing so, he provided the way for us all to be forgiven of our sins, to receive uh, his act of, of mercy and sacrifice for us. And now that's our Christian life. We live in his forgiveness. We live in his mercy. And this is just sort of how we are. That's what it is to be a Christian. But the weeks and the days and the weeks following um, the resurrection of Jesus, it was anything but normal for his closest followers. The days immediately after the resurrection were some of the most tumultuous, crazy, scary, life-upending moments in their entire life. Um, these guys, these poor disciples, their whole lives were turned upside down by, uh, by what happened at the, uh, you know, at, the, at the crucifixion. But if you recall, at the very beginning, Jesus was really amazing at turning their lives upside down from the very beginning, right? So he approached, you know, just think back three years earlier. He says, you, fisherman guy, put down your nets and follow me. From now on, you're going to be fishing for men. And literally within seconds, fisherman guy follows Jesus, and his whole life is changed. He leaves home, he leaves everything that he knew, and he begins to follow this Jesus. Hey, you, uh, zealot guy, right? Put down your sword, put down your torch. I'm going to teach you how to love people, even people that you vehemently disagree with. And that's exactly what happened. You, tax collector guy, put down your calculator, put down your bags of gold and follow me. And instantaneously, their lives were changed, and they began to follow Jesus and all the people, the twelve disciples and the and the close followers surrounding them they they at some point they knew that everything was changed they knew that they were following the one that they were following the one that they had prayed for literally for centuries and centuries and centuries as a nation they prayed for this Messiah to come, and he had come, and they knew in their guts that he had finally come. And so they were rejoicing. And then suddenly in the events surrounding Easter, they found themselves bewildered because it wasn't just a bad couple of weeks. It was the end. The one that they put all their trust in, the one that they put their hope in, the one that they believed in so solidly was arrested and crucified and he died. It wasn't just a rough week. He was buried and everything was over for these guys. And if they would have seen like a a chiropractor or something, the chiropractor would have said, you guys have got severe whiplash. Like you are in really, really bad shape. And so what happened is after Jesus's uh, death and resurrection is, is they were they didn't know what to make of any of this, and they went into hiding. Right? They they went and they sort of hid themselves in houses just to try to figure out what was going on, to unpack all of uh, the events that had happened. And so they're in the house hiding. And this is before Jesus had re- you know, revealed himself. And then suddenly uh, one of the women came and said, you guys, you would not believe it, but I have seen the Lord. And just when they had kind of begun to understand that Jesus had died, now someone is saying that Jesus was alive again. And so they were absolutely just reeling. They didn't know what to do. And of course, it was incredible, but it was really, really bewildering. And, And so over the next 40 days after Jesus resurrected, but before he ascended, you guys know what Jesus did, right? He began to just present himself to different people. He began to just show up, to pop up. And, um, and of course, what most of us think about in terms of the reason why Jesus did that is that he was trying to show people that he was, in fact, alive. And I'm sure that that was a key piece of this, but he was doing much more than that. And what the Bible records is that over and over and over again, it says Jesus appears. If you read the end of the gospels, you'll see this. Jesus appears. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Jesus appears to Thomas. Jesus appears to the disciples. Jesus appears to a large group of people. Jesus appears to the guys walking on the road towards the town of Emmaus. And of course, like I said, I know that he was wanting to show people, no, I am alive. I have been resurrected. I've done everything that I said that I would do, but he was doing more than that. And that's what we're going to see today. He was doing much, much more than just sort of revealing himself to be alive. Actually, what he was doing, you guys, is he had these like this agenda, He knew the the state of the hearts of his his disciples. He knew how messed up they had gotten over the last month. He knew how they had just so failed in their quest to be a good follower. So many of these guys, they were in a bad way because, you know, when Jesus was arrested and crucified, what did the disciples do? They scattered, they ran, right? They were a mess. Peter betrayed Jesus utterly. Judas was dead. They were a wreck. And so during the 40 days when Jesus was on earth and had not yet ascended, he had it in his heart that he was going to meet with his disciples and he was just going to minister to their hearts. He had these specific conversations that he wanted to have with them to renew them, to strengthen them, to heal them, to give them what they needed after they'd gone through such a very hard time. And what we're going to see, you guys, is that I think that Jesus is almost at his most lovely, if I could use that word in those days, immediately following his resurrection. And so um, what I hope is, is that you will find your heart in these little touches with Jesus, that you'll find something in your life experience in the ways that he was ministering to the disciples and the things that were were going on in their heart. They might be things that have gone on in your heart as well. That makes sense. So, We're going to do three of these. And the first one is where Jesus appears to all the disciples, the group of disciples. They're actually not quite all of them, but we'll read this. John chapter 20 says this. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. And what does he say? Do you see it there? I'm sorry. I really am kind of hard of hearing. Jesus said, peace be with you. He said, what did the disciples need in that moment? They needed peace. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and on his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you as the, as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so here we are. Jesus was executed, and um, they were on the run. They were in hiding. And I want to call your attention to verse 19. It says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. That's key, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, and he said, peace be with you. Other versions record it this way. Although the doors were locked, because they were afraid, Jesus appeared among them. And I I think, church, that this shows shows us something really amazing, really wonderful, really tender uh, about Jesus. Because there are times in our lives where we feel like um, a part of us, or maybe all of us, because it's so consuming, that we are locked up inside. We have areas in our lives, issues in our lives, like I can't see through you. I don't have x-ray vision, but I believe that most of us, either right now in this moment or at some point, we, we carry things. There's there's things in our hearts that are just a wreck. And maybe they're, they're sin issues. Maybe they're areas of frustration. Maybe they're areas where we just haven't seen a breakthrough forever and ever and ever. Nobody really understands. Nobody really sees it. Maybe it's stuff that that causes us to feel ashamed or vulnerable. And... We don't know what to do with it. And that that area, that area of brokenness is so difficult, so hard, so long lasting that we bury it so deep inside and we hide and we don't tell anybody about it. And it may be so dark and so unpresentable that we won't even let God into that place. And the doors of our heart get locked and we get stuck inside because of fear, because of shame, because of embarrassment, because of frustration, whatever it is. And here is... What is so amazing about this, and that is that even in that place, when we are locked up, Jesus can just show up. And, and you know, he's, he's, a, he's a gentleman, and so he won't ever, he won't ever come in, into a place in our heart where he's not welcome, but there's so much in us, so often, where it's like, I don't know how to unlock the door. I don't know how to get out from underneath this thing. I, I don't even know how to invite Jesus in. And the amazing thing about Jesus is, is he is not limited by our limitations. He can just appear and minister. And I love that when he appeared to the disciples, them hiding in that house behind locked doors, it was a picture of their utter failure. They should have been out there uh, just, you know, sharing the gospel. They should have been out there, you know, get, you know, telling people about Jesus. Instead, they were hiding. It was just a picture of their failure, and, and one might expect, when you know, if any of us have ever done or experienced something where we have been broken, where we have not done well, where we have gotten scared or acted poorly, if we think about how God would come to us, if we think about how Jesus would come to us, the feeling that we have is that he might come with a rebuke. He might come in anger. He might come with scolding. And yet, how does Jesus come in the moment of this great failure after the disciples had all scattered, after they'd all run, after they'd all betrayed him? How does he come? He comes in peace, and he says, peace be with you. And one of the most amazing things to me, you guys, is that when I am a wreck, when I am at my most broken, and I experience Jesus, I experience him having peace in his heart about me. He doesn't get messed up by our brokenness. He doesn't get messed up. He doesn't get afraid. He doesn't get anxious. He doesn't get angry with us. Instead, he comes to minister right in that place where we need him the most. And what I see in this, you guys, is that there is nothing in your life that is too broken. There's nothing in your life that is too shameful. There's nothing in your life that is too old or too far beyond Jesus, that he cannot come into that very place where you don't even have the ability to to open the door and he can be there. He can present himself there and he can minister his peace to you. And I love that about him. And so I just want to encourage us this morning that no matter where we are, no matter what you have in your heart, Jesus can show up to you and he'll give you his peace and he'll give you his care and he'll unlock the door for you if you'll let him. That's the first one. I love it. The second one is this. We read this uh, uh, just a few verses later. This is about doubting Thomas. Everybody heard of doubting Thomas? Verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. We don't call him the twin. We call him doubting Thomas. Poor guy. Uh, He was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and I put my fingers into them and I place my hand into the wound on his side. Hmm, It's an interesting response, Thomas. Have you guys ever um, decided there was like an event that you were invited to and you were kind of on the fence about going, and you decided not to go to the thing. And then it turned out that the thing that you decided not to go to was like the most amazing thing ever. People were like, oh my goodness, you missed it. It was so awesome, right? Like uh, I, I, I've seen on, uh, on you know, the interwebs, these uh, these pictures on my of of celebrities that crash weddings, right? Have you ever seen these things? I think I have pictures of it. Like here we've got. Taylor Swift in the wedding party down there. That's John Travolta up on the left. Uh, Looks like Katy Perry there. You know, how would it be if you like sent your regrets to the wedding? Like, hey, wish I could make it, but I'll actually be mowing my lawn that morning or something like that. And then afterwards they say, you wouldn't believe it. Taylor Swift came. She did an hour long set. It was awesome. John Travolta was there. We danced together all night. So cool. Right? You'd be like, oh, like reverse FOMO. Why did I skip that particular event? Well, that, of course, is what Thomas is feeling to the nth degree. I mean, can you just imagine that he comes back from wherever he was, doing whatever he was doing, and the disciples are high-fiving each other. They're hugging each other like, we can't believe it. And Thomas is like, what, what? And like, Jesus was here. He was here. He rose from the dead. And Thomas is just like, you got to be kidding me. And they're like, oh, sorry, Tom. Like, yeah, he was here. It was awesome. Right. And so for Thomas, what must he been experiencing? Like, I always puzzled. Why would he react so harshly? Why would he say, I won't believe it? Everybody's saying he showed up and he's saying, I won't believe it unless I put my fingers in the nail, the nail scars of his hand. Unless I put my hand in his side. Why would he respond so harshly, so abruptly? And I wonder, you guys, if, I mean, it could be a couple of things. One is, is that Thomas might just be a guy, doubting Thomas, he might just be one of those people that need some concreteness, that he needs like some sort of like uh, something to believe in, something that is tangible. He's not like a, a blind faith guy. There are people that that don't just, you know, some of us gravitate. We're like, hey, I believe, man, you don't have to show me, I'm all in. But there are other people that have a different kind of personality. They have a personality where they need some evidence. They need something that they can rally around. And maybe Thomas was like that. Or maybe it was that Thomas was just hurt that he missed it. Hurt that other people, these other guys, got to have this amazing experience with Jesus that he didn't get to have. And I know um, in a church like ours, I know that... that. Uh, Sometimes people in a church like ours, you see them and they're having sort of like this ecstatic experience with God. It's like God is really touching them or they somebody prays for them and they get healed of something. It's just like amazing stuff. And you're sitting there going, why doesn't God do that with me? Why can't I experience that? Why doesn't he do the things with me that I see him doing all over the place? I've been asking to be healed for so long. I've been asking to feel his presence. I've been asking to experience him in some sort of like really, really tangible way. And it just never seems to go that way for me. And I think that Thomas was was feeling that way. And so I think that Thomas is actually kind of a, a patron saint for any of us who would doubt He's a patron saint for any of us who would need to be uh, a little bit more tangible in our approach. And he's also a patron saint for any of us that would say, gosh, why, 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 Lord, do you do that with them? But you don't do it with me. And I, I want to, I want to focus on the doubt piece for a second. It says this just a few verses later, actually the next verse, it says this. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, we read about this just a bit ago. Suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And what does he say? Peace be with you. you. What did they still need eight days later? Peace. And so Jesus said, peace be with you. And so he comes to the whole group, but he immediately looks at Thomas. And, you know, here's the thing about Thomas, you guys. I really like this guy, Thomas. um, You know, in the Bible, they have what's called the major prophets, right? Guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then you've got the minor prophets, right? The little guys, the guys that don't get much airtime, Obadiah, right? Micah, these little books that you can't find anywhere. You got to go to the the beginning of the Bible, figure out what page it's on. Well, there were the major disciples, Peter, James, John. Matthew is a pretty cool guy. And then there were the minor ones, the guys that didn't get much attention, Thomas was one of those guys. He probably, you know, just wasn't in the the inner circle for a lot of these events. But as soon as Jesus shows up, he turns immediately to Thomas, the minor disciple. And he says this, put your fingers here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe And of course, Thomas is undone and he says, my Lord and my God, he exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I want you guys to know that I've drawn a lot of wisdom from a woman named Ruth Haley Barton for my sermon today. Uh, She writes on this. And one of the things that she challenges us to do and what she's, she's basically just echoing Jesus And the the phrase is this, to doubt your doubts, to doubt your doubts. When Jesus quoted um, um, Thomas's words back to him, he was letting Thomas know that he was seen even when he couldn't see. He was heard even when he couldn't hear himself. He was known. Thomas was known even when he didn't know Jesus in that regard. And for any of us that would have doubts in our lives, for any of us that would go, oh, man, I just have a hard time believing. I have a hard time with this stuff. Jesus, he's not afraid of our doubt. He's not afraid of it at all. As a matter of fact, it's a good thing for us to to articulate our doubts, to talk about them, to face them, right? But Jesus would say, I will reassure you, I will go right to the place of your doubt, But then Jesus has this little, almost like a a loving rebuke of of Thomas, a little challenge to him for his restoration. And Jesus Jesus, uh, Jesus told Thomas, I want you to believe without seeing. I want you to believe without seeing, without needing rock solid proof. And here's the way that Ruth Haley Barton sums up Jesus's message. She said this. Believe your beliefs more than your doubts. Believe your beliefs more than your doubts and doubt your doubts more than your beliefs. Do you get what that's saying? It's a little tricky. Doubt your doubts more than your beliefs. Church, it's, it's okay to doubt. It's okay. It's good to acknowledge those things, but are you willing to doubt your doubt? Are you willing to put more stock in your beliefs? Because Jesus is saying, I want you to believe sometimes even without seeing. And so my encouragement that I got, I get so much encouragement from Thomas. Um, Some of it is, is just reassurance that when God seems to be doing amazing things, you guys know that I've had this like bum hip for now decades And many surgeries and just a bunch of like just it's all kind of bad news. And it could be really easy for me to look at how God works in other people's lives and to say, why not me? Why not me? And yet I see Jesus being so good, even in that place where he hasn't yet broken through in my life. And I can still celebrate what God is doing in your lives. And there's this wonderful thing for any of us that would just have doubt, we would carry it. Jesus is calling us to maybe doubt our doubts a little bit and to come to a place of faith even when we don't see. And I hope that that speaks to some of you guys. That's the second one. We're going to move on to the third one. We're zooming in on Peter here. And so in the next chapter of John, uh, a few more days have gone by and the dust is sort of settling and the guys are still confused. They're not quite sure what to do. They're waiting around. And in this meantime, in this sort of open zone where there's like, I don't know what to do with myself, Peter just kind of goes, I'm a fisherman. I'm going to go fishing. And so he asks a couple of guys, he says, hey, you guys, you want to go fishing? And like six other disciples say, yeah, let's go fishing together. And so apparently they would fish at night. And so at, at dusk, they got in the boat and they, and they went out fishing and they fished all night long. And um, I don't know what was going on, but it turns out on that particular night, there were no fish to be, hit, to be had. And so they stayed up all night long. They fished in complete vain. They caught nothing at all. And so the sun is now finally beginning to rise and they start to move towards shore. And when they're about a hundred yards off of shore, they see this figure standing on the shore and the person says, Hey, y'all, have you caught any fish? And they said, no, we haven't caught a thing. And he says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll catch a bunch of fish. And that's what they did. And they suddenly had more fish than their nets could even hold. By the way, I had someone um, once tell me, Jesus is definitely a Republican because he said, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. (laughs) Like, I don't know. But anyway, um, so that's what they do. And they bring in this incredible haul of fish. And they realize that this is Jesus talking. And here's one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus in all of Scripture, at least for me. And it's this they discover when they come back that Jesus is making them breakfast. He's on the shore and he's got a little fire going and he's making fish and he's got bread and he's wanting to just serve his friends breakfast after a long, hard night. And so we'll pick it up there. In verse 13, it says this Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so once again, he's got a group of disciples, but he wants to zoom in on the one really broken one, the one that, was, that really needed to have his heart built up again. And so after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. First of all, can you imagine... Jesus cooking breakfast for you? Can you imagine him getting up before you got up? And just like putting together a humble breakfast to serve you. I love that about who Jesus is. Can you receive from Jesus? And what Jesus was doing, you guys, is he was creating an environment where they could talk. He was creating an environment. Certainly he didn't only talk to Peter, but he was creating an environment where they could just, get off of their chests, get out of their hearts, all the the craziness of what was going on. Jesus just wanted to minister to them. He just wanted to create a space for them to to, to just be so that he could speak healing into their lives. But of course, he specifically wanted to, to minister to Peter because Peter, as you might know, Peter had completely failed he had completely abandoned jesus he was the one peter was of course the one that had the the he had his chest out the most he was the one bragging like i will never betray you. these other disciples i'm sure they'll leave you not me i'll be with you to the end and of course he was the first one out of there he overtly completely denied jesus and so he was carrying so much shame so much brokenness and so in this moment jesus does this interesting thing and he says do you love me And Peter says, yes, I love you. And he asks him three times. And I think, church, that what Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to get Peter to hear the words, yes, I love you. He wanted Peter to know, yes, I do love you, Jesus. I know that I failed you. I know that I'm broken. I know that I don't always do well. Sometimes I get ahead of myself but I know that I love you, Jesus. And I believe that Jesus wanted Peter to hear that. But then after each one of those moments where Peter said, I love you, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but there could be a time in our lives where we have done so poorly that we disqualify ourselves. We do so poorly sometimes that we take ourselves out of the game. We put ourselves on the bench. We run from God. We hide from people. We say, if this is what I am, certainly I cannot do what, I'm, what you're asking of me. I'm not fit for it. I'm not, I, I just don't have it in me. And in this moment where Peter had taken himself out of the game, he was maybe headed towards being a fisherman again. Jesus said, your brokenness, your failure, your lack does not negate my love or the call that is on your life. He comes in peace and he ministered to Peter and he said, you still have a call that is on your life. And for any one of you guys that have ever felt broken, if you've ever felt like whatever is inside you is just, is so much that you're not worthy of the thing that God is asking of you. You're not worthy of facing him. You're not worthy of, of giving to other people. Jesus would come to you and say, I made you worthy. You still have a call on, I still have a purpose for you in your life. And of course, you might know that how how this all ended. And that is that something changed. Well, the Holy Spirit was poured out, but Peter would spend the rest of his life preaching boldly everywhere he went the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter himself would eventually be crucified upside down because he would not fail in the end. He was restored. And I just, I'm I'm done, I'm done. But I just want to say that for any of us, you and I, if you feel locked up in some area of your life, if you feel like what's going on in there is so hard that you just don't have the key to change, you don't have the the ability, you, you feel powerless, even in that place of powerlessness, Jesus can just appear and minister his peace and his love to you. And I, I have a feeling, you guys, that even if, Nothing changed. And that's something I. I, If nothing changes in your heart and you die in the brokenness, Jesus will not change. He will still.